Hello, and welcome to Didn't See It, Don't Need To, a podcast where we do not watch movies because we feel that we do not need to. Welcome, Joshua. Welcome to you. Welcome to everyone who's listening. You know, you said we don't watch movies because we don't feel we need to, which is totally true. Sometimes we don't need to add that to our lives. Like some, sometimes it's like, oh, I just have no desire to see that movie. And sometimes it's like, well, you know, I'd like to see that movie, but to be honest, got a lot going on, kind of a busy week, been worrying about some stuff. I got to sit in the corner and fret. It's not going to happen. I'm exactly. not sure this is one of those weeks. Right. And I also would like to add that um, we both really love movies and um, we, we don't have anything against movies. These are just movies that we're not seeing. And we're not seeing them for you. In a way, it's just uh, jealousy. Like, I'm jealous of the movies. The movies get to all see themselves. But we don't get to see all the movies. It's kind of too bad. And this right. is a way of dealing with it. Exactly. That's a, I think that's a very sweet thing to say about the movies. And I like to think of all the movies seeing themselves. And I also, frankly, because I love this podcast, I like to think about us not seeing them. <laughs> I agree. I like all those things. And the movie that we have for people tonight, I think it is going to see itself. And that may be it. I don't know if anyone else is going to see this movie. I, I could be wrong, but that's my, my sense of things. The movie that we're uh, talking about without seeing this evening is called Book of Love. And uh, I, I'm basing my uh, elaborate analysis of this movie that I'm sure we'll get to shortly. And purely on the trailer, and then I tried to track down some reviews online, but there aren't any. It's yes, just press releases, same, right? There's same. a bunch of essentially identical press releases about how BuzzFeed Studios has made this movie and it's being distributed by Amazon Prime, which means, by the way, that I could see this for free in the privacy of my own home because I am a, an Amazon Prime member, uh, but I'm not going to. Same, same, same. All right. All right, um, moving right along. So we usually begin with opening remarks and I, I will begin because I have one thing to say, which is I looked up BuzzFeed Studios and they said something like, we are the, I can't even remember because that's what we do here. We underprepare. They said something like, we create content for the most online generation ever known or something. And then they said, uh, then there was another movie that they made. I can't remember the name of it. I will not be seeing it, but I will not not be publicly seeing it where they said like, this movie is an inclusive and diverse movie. And I was like, okay. And so I feel like Buzzfeed Studios has some mandate to create movies, which could arguably be called diverse. And like, that is literally it. Like this movie was a movie about a gay couple. Um, anyway, I just feel like that's sort of what their thing is. It's just like if it could be called diverse in any way, and then they probably have some movies that couldn't be, but we have to make a certain amount of movies that could be called diverse. And that's that's it. We don't really care what the movie is. If it could be called diverse by anyone, then we'll make it. It seems like from one perspective, you could be accusing, not be used the accusatory tone, BuzzFeed Studios of being, you know, woke. And I'm going to make the, the contra case. It's not a term I use much, but of course this movie is the, the opposite of that. For those of uh, you listening at home, I imagine I'm, not, I'm just estimating now 30 to 40,000 people 
That's a rough estimate. Yeah, uh, I think that's uh, about right. Uh, if you haven't yet had a chance to either see this movie or the trailer for this movie, which uh, according to us is really all you need to see, the, the plot seems to be this. There's a repressed, uptight, tweed-wearing, tie-wearing, uh, British midlist novelist whose novel is translated into Spanish. Why a, an unsuccessful and notably boring, explicitly boring in the plot, why an explicitly boring and unsuccessful British midlist novel would be translated into Spanish remains unclear to us. Let's let that be one of the great mysteries. But it's translated into Spanish, and the Spanish translator, a woman, takes some liberties with the translation and sexes it up and makes it good. And so it becomes hugely popular in Mexico. And the author, discovering he's a smash hit in Mexico, goes on book tour where he finds out that the book that everyone loves is not the book he's written. It's the, the book, in fact, that the translator has, in effect, in effect written uh, from, from the ground up. Uh, and hilarity ensues. You know, whatever, it's fish out of water, it's square peg round hole, it's whatever. The, the repressed British male novelist and the, the lively, sensual, uh, but impoverished Mexican translator are, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and guess that they end up uh, having a romance. That's the plot of the movie. And it's, you know, if, if any of you happen to have read the book Orientalism by Edward Said, you, you're not going to need a lot of help puzzling out how this movie works. Uh, Wait, is this <laughs> is this movie an adaptation of that book? Uh, in a way, I think, <laughs> I think that might be the best case for it, right? It's explicitly about uh, the way that the colonizing country, Britain and the United States, by extension, the, the publisher maybe seems to be, the publisher's rep in the trailer is, 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 is from the United States uh, or speaks with a, with a U.S. accent. The, the colonizing nation has to go to the colonized nation because they're desperately in need of the sort of embodied, physical, true, authentic experience that they're alienated from as, you know, overly inbred, overly refined, you know, members of the colonizing class and of the Commonwealth and, and so on. And, and so they get this life force from the, from the colonies so that's one way to think about it. Of course, so it's the, the mind, right? The thinking novelist, the thinking man, played by Sam Claflin, who we know from the Hunger Games, and, and body, right? The, the woman translator represents the body. She's obviously, a, her character is a, a thinker, an artist, a writer, but, but she represents embodiedness, right? Sexuality, and she, we see her like changing the, the tire on a car, whereas our guy doesn't know how to do it. So all this like representation of like embodiedness and labor, which is the other story, right? The other story here is about the division of intellectual and manual labor, where sort of Northern colonizing nations get to have, get to corner the market on intellectual labor, on being thinkers, whereas manual labor uh, gets done in the global South, which is of course, that's just, true right but that's not a lovely rom-com that's a story of like planetary domination which is the story that's being told here i should i should mention now that the novelist played by sam claflin is named henry copper if you're wondering all the largest copper mines in the world are in the global south 
The second largest copper mine in the world does happen to be in Mexico. It's owned by Grupo Mexico, but it's run by Asarco out of Arizona. So, but so the sort of story is, you know, another way to narrate it is that there is the sort of uh, intellectual class who lives in the in in the core of empire, but they require southern southern embodied and southern labor to produce value for the north, right? And that's that's just the story of like global imbalance. Uh, but it's being played out here in the terrain of like a novel and a translator. But it's in a way pretty straightforward, just a story about the uh, intellectual property of the global north needing southern labor to produce actual value to, that it can exploit for profit that moves back to the north. There it is, your Marxist reading of a two and a half minute trailer that is the, the truth of the film. That is, in the end, it's Sensible Heart, which is the name of the novel that Henry Copper uh, writes. It gets gets translated. Oh, it's called The Sensible much. Heart? His novel is called The Sensible Heart or El Corazón Sensible. So I think we've moved on to the phase where uh, we ask each other questions. What would you be looking forward? Oh, no, that's not the first question. The first question is... You know what? You always have to do these because I always forget them. Yeah, I think the order we're doing it is this. The first question is, what would you most be dreading oh. uh, in seeing this movie? But I'm going to pretend you asked me because we're, 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 yeah. we're, we're doing that order. So I would most be dreading the examples of bad writing. Right? Clearly, we're going to have to be exposed to the original English language text of a sensible heart and listen to it and think like, oh my gosh, that's so bad. That's such bad writing. And I would be dreading having to hear that because, you know, what if I think it's good? But which I don't mean to suggest I have bad taste in novels. I have excellent taste in novels in the sense that I read one about every five years. But the idea that like, it's obvious, sort of obvious what bad writing is, I find a disturbing idea in academia, which is where you know, part of my life is, they give out an, a, a stupid award every year for like the worst academic jargon writing. I remember really, they gave it to Judith Butler, which was really uh, unsettling to me. I don't always agree with Judith Butler, but I actually think that they are a deeply careful thinker and precise writer who communicate very refined, carefully wrought ideas with the way they write and say like, oh, well, that's bad writing. No, it's actually, kind of tremendous writing for doing the thing it's, it's trying to do. So I would be dreading that moment when they're like, when we have to hear the four sentences and we're supposed to think like, oh, that's terrible. I'd be like, oh, I don't know. What would you be dreading uh, most in seeing this movie, Sarah Miller? I would be dreading most. So the woman, um, the translator brings her family. They go, they go on a book tour and she brings her family with her. Um, I, I think I think it's like a, a kid. I don't know if it's her son or nephew or whatever. I think there's a kid and a grandmother. It's all a blur. I would be dreading the Henry Henry Copper, Harry Copper, whatever his name is. Um, his annoyance with them and the like the smooth um, sort of act one, act two, act three transformation of him being like annoyed to thinking, oh, maybe these people are, you know, worth my time to the end where, as you said in your introduction, his like desiccated, you know, colonialist soul is able to 
come alive uh, and to sort of engorge itself upon the life force of these people and the way that that would be about, you know, his happiness, his uh, self-actualization, his intellect, his ability to be a better writer. Uh, I don't know his ability to like get a hard on. I don't know. Like, I know I'm not trying to be funny. Like I, I'm just saying the, the way that those people will become just a part of like what he is able to do or achieve or be. And you got to figure it's going to start with a kid, right? Like he's going to have a moment, he's going to have a moment where he's like suddenly sees that the kid is charming or vulnerable or whatever. And, and yeah. shows that because of course, that is the truly sexy thing, right? It's when you indicate you're like ready to be a dad. Right. Um, There's nothing like, sexier than knowing that someone will <laughs> want, wants to have a baby. I mean, I've, that's what I always say. Every time I talk to you, we just talk about that. No, I know. That's, that's pretty much our only topic. Uh, <laughs> so, so our next question, as you may recall, which you're going to ask me first is a, an, an inverse, a reverse of the first question. Oh, what would you be dreading most in seeing this movie? Oh, no. What would you be looking? Oh, sorry been a long day with a lot of podcasting um you might really want to make a, a post-it on your desktop with the thought with the, with the questions on it as i have so i can remember them oh that's <laughs> such a good idea um what, what what might you if you were to watch this movie what might you be looking forward to i'm gonna you know make a little move here and the answer is same thing like that moment when we have to see or hear the the supposedly terrible writing I think that could be the most delightful moment of the movie because it might be legitimately terrible, which would be hilarious. I like to hear terrible writing, or it might actually be like excellent writing. I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's excellent. And I would enjoy that either way. So in this case, I think this may be a first. The thing I would be most mm. dreading and most looking forward to are pretty much going to be the same scene. And how about you, Sarah Miller? What would you most be looking forward to were you to see this movie? My thing is very specific, which is, that I hope they have some good shots of the of the airport because I, I'm assuming he flies into maybe he flies into Mexico City, maybe he flies into a smaller airport. But I really tend to um, I've been to like maybe seven airports in in Mexico and um, Latin America, and they I, I really like uh, I tend to really like airports in that part of the world. Um, and I've been to the Mexico City Airport, but only once. And I remember thinking it was really cool. And I, I would be, I would want to see that airport again, represented on on film, 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 nicely filmed. Let us move on to the third question that you'll be asking me. Uh, Joshua, oh yeah, uh, what would have to happen for you to see this movie? It's a fair question. It's hard for me to imagine a scenario here. I admit. And I, this is a challenging, always a challenging question, in part because I feel like I'm pretty good at standing by my commitment. So I'm not going to see a movie. I'm really not going to see it. So it's a little bit hard to get into the headspace. I will say the following. As I mentioned earlier, I am an Amazon Prime member. I'm part of a household that's an Amazon, Amazon Prime membership. So it is easily accessible via my remote control. Well, mostly what we watch, we, I, I, I torrent stuff. So right now we're watching Euphoria, we're re-watching The Americans, we're watching some like James A. Castor comedy specials from 2018. But imagine we just ran out of all that stuff. 
there we are stuck. I can't stand to watch anymore like office reruns or other junk television. CNN is still talking about January 6th. I guess I could imagine flipping to it on Amazon Prime. It's to be honest, I'm 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 grasping at straws here. It's actually hard for me to imagine that happening, but if it were to happen, I think that would be the way. I'm guessing you're gonna have a better you 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 excel at this question. I think you excel at all the questions, but this question in particular, I think you've given some really standout answers to. Let's turn to it tonight. What would have to happen for you to it's, see the movie Book of Love 2022, Sarah Miller? I just came up with my answer right now when you talked about January 6th, which is Hi, um, this is Sarah. I hate the answer that I gave here, so uh, I cut it out. Hi, this is Erica, the editor, and I just wanted to weigh in and say that I think she made a really good call. Okay, back to the show. Okay, uh, an elaborate concoction, but I, as always, uh, appreciate it. We are now moving into the final phase of the podcast, the bespoke questions. Yeah. In, this, in, this, in this phase, the yes. final phase, each of us prepares two bespoke questions specific only to this podcast. They've never been asked in the past. They will never be asked again in the future. And Sarah Miller, it is on you to start. Okay. Suppose this movie were called, had the same characters and the same premise, you know, the same first half of the first act. And it was called the book of hate. Tell me what would happen in it. You know, I had one of my bespoke in my drafts, in my draft bespoke questions, I had a, a, a not totally different question from this, which was, what if it was called love of book? Um, <laughs> that is not one of my questions. I, I, I did not use that draft. Uh, um, but so book of hate and, and what would happen? I think that poses a great question of genre. Does it stay in the genre and it becomes a rom-com where they sort of can't stand each other? Uh, and have to and have to put up with that, which is you know that's a version of the rom com where they where right. they really really can't stand each other. Uh, so you know, it it turns out that her little habits, instead of being charming, really start to grate on him. The the way that she you know uses a napkin after eating, I don't know, and she realizes his his writing is is bad because he's a bad person, and now they're stuck together, uh, you know, in a in a in a car with as you know her her family apparently some some fraction of her family for you know mexico's uh, who knows how big this tour is but it could be vast that the cities with the kind of bookstores or 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 libraries or cultural centers there'd be events there's distances between them this has got to be substantial tour they're stuck together and, and their mannerisms are just grading more and more on each on each other so that would be that'd be one way to go but the other way to go would be if instead of merely translating it Instead of merely transforming it, as Veronica Eshigui does, she were to realize through some literary sleuthing that the main character in A Sensible Heart has become so sensible by way of atoning for and covering up for a horrific past where he was a, a fascist executioner, which he's now concealing right in, in, his, in, his, in his distant past. And she realizes that, in fact, this is an autobiographical book and that in, in which Sam Claflin, it turns out, has a backstory. He's learned like, you know, very proper imperial English. But, but in fact, he, he uh, uh, is, you know, from, from Serbia. 
and was involved in rather unsavory ways uh, in the war there in particularly 1997, 98. And she figures this out and she realizes she's gonna have to kill him. And that would be amazing. And the rest of the, the, the third act is her figuring out how she's gonna go about killing him. And then, and then eventually with the assistance of uh, you know, her elderly aunt who's in the car or whoever it is, uh, you know, slaughters him on the roadside. So oh that's, that's Book of Hate. That's what amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Here's my first bespoke question for you. Mm. Uh, so the two main characters in the film are as best we understand, and I've, I've tried to say this fairly carefully, British and Mexican. Mm. Could you imagine two different nationalities wherein the plot of this movie would be funny and make sense and also not be completely offensive? Hmm. Well, it's the same plot, though. Pretty much the same plot, like translator transforms it, makes it makes it uh, a smash by making it sexy and, and hot. Um, I mean, like German and Italian, maybe yeah. it would be less sort of like obviously um, colonizer vampire for sure. Um, that's the yeah, German, Swedish. Swedish. Yeah, I was going to go like Danish and Australian. Oh <laughs> yeah, be my moves, that would I be know. a good one. Um, yeah, Finland and like Finland and Spain. Although I don't know, I have a lot of sympathy. I have a lot of like Finnish friends who don't really count themselves as being part of Scandinavia, and they feel like yeah, they're right, like right. fucked over. Or they're really sweet. Like, yeah, Swedish, things. Swedish and D- yeah. Danish and Swedish. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm ready for my final uh, bespoke question. Okay, well. Question our uh, graphics person, Rebecca Ackerman, wrote a, a piece this week in Newsweek about um, women and and uh, and um, crypto girl bosses or something. So I'm just shout out to our graphics person, Rebecca Ackerman. Woo. So if this and not the book, if this was not the book of hate, but the book of um, NFT FOMO. <laughs> So if it was sort of sort of the same again, the sort of the same characters, but it was the book of NFT FOMO, how might it go? The as again, this is where I turn to the camera. So y'all at home may not know that Sarah and I have an elaborate crypto backstory, which is that oh we do that we met through crypto at sometime in the very distant past. uh, Sarah was my editor at an online journal. whose original business plan was to pay its employees, certainly its writers. I don't know if it's true for the editors. You can tell me now, Sarah. No, we got got some crypto. We got some money. We got some crypto. But certainly its writers offered to pay them in in like its own sub sub form of crypto. It had this incredible like social justice nonsense attached to it. Shout out to Maria Bastios, who's the most credulous person I've ever met. Um, Like some social justice nonsense attached to it. And also like, the readers at home could tip uh, if they liked an article, they could tip in this crypto, this sort of subcategory of Ethereum, and that would decide what kind of stories got covered. And it was, it was all, and I'm going to use a technical term here, it was all bad. So you brought me back to a crypto question, and I'm not sure I'm ready to answer it, but here's what I'm going to go with. It's going to turn out in the book of uh, NFT FOMO, it would turn out that this entire Mexican adventure was virtual, right? It was all, it was all like the NFT apes that you can buy these days. It was all a virtual adventure. 
that Sam Claflin, who did, wasn't, wasn't an author at all, but is in fact, is just a, an indulger in pornography, right? And this is a particular form of porn that he's paying for with cryptocurrency. It's a particular form of porn is to enter this virtual world where he can be an uptight author who becomes unrepressed and finally then gets to have good sex or whatever. You know, that's as close as I can get. There's not a big NFT element, but it's virtual. It's got crypto. You're going to give it to I me. I love it. I appreciate that. You're generous. So Rebecca wrote the article about women in crypto. And, and, and actually, Rebecca wrote me a great explainer of crypto today, which was really quite funny. But I, sorry. So the things about NFT, uh, no, women in crypto. But the thing I, the reason I thought of crypto FOMO or NFT FOMO, sorry, which I did not explain was I was looking at Instagram today and instantly this thing popped up that was like, how do you deal with NFT FOMO? And it was two women who work in tech having a, like a very serious conversation about how to deal with it. I didn't, I, I watched like one minute of it. I, I, feel, just, I feel like they're really close, right? M NFT is, uh, it's foam, right? It's literally the foam that floats on top of, 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 a, of a liquid. It's just the bubbles. And uh, so, you know, they, they were, they were, they were saying FOMO, but they meant foam. And, oh yeah. And in that sense, I appreciate them. Oh yeah, totally. Um, so, here's my right. last question for you. We have one yes. more bespoke question for you. Yes. Is this film the best movie called Book of Love in your lifetime? Well, there's another movie called Book of Love with Jessica Biel in it. I, I think the one with Jessica Biel is probably a little bit better. I think you're probably right, but I'm going to add to that, that since 1990, there have been five movies called Book of Love. And this I surveyed all wow. of them in, in preparation for, for this episode. I, I perused all of their IMDb pages. And I, you know, you may, this may be the best one. They, every single one of them. It's amazing that with that title, which is, you know, there's at least three good songs called Book of Love. So you think they come up with one good movie, but no, they've tried five times in the last 30 years and failed every time, catastrophically. Each of these movies, completely unsuccessful. No one saw it and they look terrible. Why? This can be the question for our audience that we can like we can leave everyone with. Oh yeah. Feel free to to hit reply. That's after you've hit like and subscribe. Feel free to hit reply or tweet at us and let us know why you think it's impossible apparently to make an even vaguely tolerable film called Book of Love. Um, if it's okay with you, I think we should have a contest. Definitely. That where if if you listen to the show, Roxanne, Miles, uh, Jackson, um, if you listen to this show, tell us if you think it's possible to have a good movie called Book of Love. And the best answer, we will we will record you giving your answer. If they want, yeah, we will we'll either uh, have a, an or audio we'll, in, uh, audio insert or yeah. we'll give them a shout out in the next episode. I mean, we give our three listeners shout we out do. to every Miles, episode. Roxanne, Jackson. Hello. What's up? Uh, oh no, there's a, and there's another one too this week. A, a, a guy I can't remember. He follows well, he follows me on that's Twitter. That's very that's very exciting. We're up to four, <laughs> and and uh, four four, which is I think that equals one NFT. Am I am I right? Yeah, um, we uh, should sell NFT drawings of our fans. Didn't see it. Didn't niff to. That's <laughs> that's my NFT. Uh, niff. But yeah, we will somehow include a celebration or tribute or participation of our contest winner who gives the best answer for why 
it is impossible to make a, a even vaguely tolerable movie called Book of Love oh, okay, or, or said, your idea yeah. for, a, for a way that you could make that title work. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Joshua, for joining me tonight. Um, I have a fixed, I have NFT fixed uh, picture of the list of the questions. That's going to come in handy for our next podcast. I gather you're traveling before then. You want to tell us all where you're going to? Oh, I'm, I'm going to Geneva because in addition to um, having a podcast where uh, people give four minute monologues about Marxist interpretations of trailers, I also write about luxury watches. But didn't you just go to Geneva uh, like recently? Am I wrong about that? I did, but I'm going back and I will probably be going back and then I'll probably be going back again because I just can't, I just can't stop. You're on the Geneva good beat. at writing about luxury watches. I can't. You're on the Geneva beat. Um, so yes, I'm going to Geneva. I am interviewing um, an auctioneer. Uh, and I am also writing about the founder of Rolex. Uh, is, is that, that's uh, Henrietta Rolex, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, actually, it's uh, Trixie Rolex. Trixie Rolex. Trixie Rolex. That's a strange coincidence because that's my stripper name. So that's a weird <laughs> conjuncture. I know it's very weird, um, but that's the kind of thing that happens when you um, start not watching movies and talking about it. You just start making connections. You know, it's been hard for us to not see things. It's been hard for us to find things to not see. You know? the, the ease with which we've been not seeing things is a problem, right? Because it's right. only interesting if it's, there's a tiny challenge to not seeing it. Right. Like, West Side you know, Story was like our last sort of like, we're not seeing this. Although apparently nobody saw it. We were the first. No, I know. We, we, we called that one. <laughs> Real trailblazers. So thank you, Rebecca Ackerman. And thank you for your service uh, writing about girl boss crypto. And Erica Heilman, thank you. If the, if the sound on this is bad, it's not her fault. It's our fault. We're working it out. We're doing our best. We're doing our best. Um, and we're going to get there. Then, uh, oh, God, Chuck Lindo. That new that new song is a banger. Yeah, Chuck Lindo is really great. I've been spending a lot of time with uh, Wizard Van member lately, and I, I just am constantly just humbled that we are allowed to share this universe with Wizard Van. I completely get it. All right, I will see you soon, and thank you for not watching movies with me. Good night, everyone. It's always a pleasure.